Okay, Bishis the Rav. I'd like to also thank uh, Steve uh, and Dr. Alyssa Grill for hosting this beautiful uh, event. And uh, I'd like to thank everybody for coming out on this night um, and partaking in this uh, beautiful Mishmar. I'd like to speak a little bit about Rosh Hashanah, which is uh, soon upon us. I once read a an article in a newspaper I think it was the New York Times but I can't recall and it was the article was interviewing a uh, very popular young author and the interviewer came to the author's home and noticed something very peculiar about about the living room that there were many different frames on the walls, different types of frames, some were more modern, some were more traditional, old-fashioned, and every one of the picture frames had a different blank piece of paper in it, different type of paper, some were uh, lined paper and, and blank paper, parchment paper, it was very peculiar. So the interviewer asked this author whether or not, uh, what, if they could explain what exactly, if you could explain what was going on. So he says, I have very varied interests in books. I like all types of books. I like science fiction, and I like uh, history, and I like fiction, and I like nonfiction. And what I do is, when I have a favorite author in a certain genre, I write them a letter, and I ask if they could please, uh, if it wouldn't be too much of a, of a trouble, this is, I guess, before the time of laptops, if they could take the next blank page in their writing pad that they were using to write their, their book and send it to me. I want a blank piece of paper, the next blank piece of paper you used up until this point, and now I want a blank piece of paper uh, from this book. And they would send it to me, many authors, and I would find a frame for each type of author. So if it was a science fiction author, I would have a very, uh, you know, more of a futuristic style frame, and I'd put his paper in that. And then if it was an old uh, historian, then I would take uh, his paper and put it in, a lo- in an older frame. So he was asked, why do you do this? Like, what's, what's the point? So he said that I'd like to believe that I have more blank pages ahead of me than written pages behind me. In other words, when he looks at the wall of his house, he's able to see potential. He's able to see the blank pages that still are lying before him, a blank canvas. Uh, And to an artist, there's nothing more exciting than a blank canvas because it represents potential. To an author, a blank piece of paper. Um, To a musician, uh, a blank uh, piece of sheet music. All of this represents potential, and this is what this person was trying to be inspired by seeing, this author was trying to be inspired by seeing on his wall. To me, this represents what Rosh Hashanah is all about. Rosh Hashanah, it's true, it's a Yom Hadin, it's a, uh, it's a day of judgment, it's a day that we're supposed to be doing tshuva in advance of, and that's what El is about, and then we have a more intense tshuva during a Sarasimei tshuva leading up to the climax of Yom Kippur. But on a different level, Rosh Hashanah represents the potential of the brand new year ahead. And that whatever happened last year, 
if it's good, so we want to let it ride. But maybe sometimes it wasn't so good, and we need a little bit of a change of mazel, change of uh, change of scenery. Rosh Hashanah presents and represents the promise of a brand new canvas ahead of us. You know, we we lean on Rosh Hashanah about the fact that Sarah Imenu, who was an Akara, she was barren. Uh, and Hashem remembered her on Rosh Hashanah, and then she was able to have Yitzchak Avinu. Chana, also, the Gemara teaches us, was Nifkada. She was remembered by Hashem, and she conceived on Rosh Hashanah, and she, of course, had Shmuel. And that's why we lane on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, the, the laning of, uh, of Sari Menu's birth, of Yitzchak, and also the Haftarah of course, Maftir Chana. Just as an aside... Um, in yeshiva and lander, so um, there is a uh, a streak that if ever uh, there's a a talmud that let's say in the kailo that's married for several years and could not have a child, so if they I generally lay in mafter chana, but if I have them in mind or then that year there's a baby born. It's a big skula. To uh, if a person you know is is in need of a, it's not just a school in Lander. I'm sure it's a school all over the world. But I see with my own eyes, time after time, there's something very special about the leaning of uh, of uh, of Mafter Chana specifically. And the Svar Makadeshim, the holy sources, say that what this represents, the fact that Sara Imenu conceived on Rosh Hashanah, and that Chana Imenu Chana conceived on Rosh Hashanah. This represents the fact that on Rosh Hashanah, it's a day that's pregnant with potential. Everything that a person needs this coming year could be unlocked on Rosh Hashanah, just like the womb of, of these great imais of, of Sari Menu, Rachel Menu, the Gemara says, also conceived on Rosh Hashanah and Chana. So it's not just the fact that they personally were able to have children, but all of us are able to conceive of anything that we dream of. Whatever we want for ourselves, for our families, for our communities, Rosh Hashanah is a time that we can come before Hashem and, and ask for a, a brand new slate. We're going to be turning over a personal new slate. We're going to do tshuva, and we're going to, we're going to look with fresh eyes at what we're doing and how we can improve our ways. But in general, HaKadosh Baruch Hu presents us with a blank canvas and says, what would you like this coming year? What is meaningful to you? What would you? Uh, what are you davening for? And sometimes, uh, when you daven for something, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, "Yes, I see that. You know that would be wonderful if you would have it." Hakadosh Baruch Hu answers the tefillas, and Rosh Hashanah is the time that all of this takes place, for good and for bad. Everything happens on Rosh Hashanah. Chaim Shmulevitz once said that there was a, a person, I think, uh, somebody that lived in his neighborhood. And he died in the middle of the year. And everybody, you know, wants to know, how did he die? What did he die of? So, um, so he died of a, of a bad pneumonia. So, and everyone was saying, okay, he died of pneumonia. So, and when did he die? When did he catch the pneumonia? Well, he caught it like a week ago. He wasn't wearing a coat. So, Reb Chaim Shalom says, that's absolutely false. He caught the pneumonia on Rosh Hashanah. Whatever time of the year he actually succumbed to the actual disease of the pneumonia, but he caught it in Rosh Hashanah. Everything that happens throughout our entire coming year is really judged and ruled on and decided on on Rosh Hashanah. Everything is hanging in the balance 
on this very, very important Yom Tif. And it's a time that we have to really understand its importance and utilize the powers that we have in tefillah and daven uh, for what we really, really need and what we dream of for ourselves, for our wives, for our children and our community and, our, and, and Klal Yisrael. This is very, very important. I remember I, I read once um, that there was a certain Rav, um, I believe his name was Rav Telushkin, and he once went to uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe asked him, uh, Rav Telushkin, if I gave you a million dollars, what would you do for Klal Yisrael? That, back then, a million dollars was real money. And um, so what would you do for Klal Yisrael? If, let's, let's modernize the If I gave you $20 million, what would you do for Klal Yisrael? So, and this Rav Telushkin was sort of caught off guard, and he didn't have a good answer, and he was fumbling, and he was, uh, and, and Lubavitch Rebbe, like, sort of just, like, you know, shook him off, like, you know, okay, nope, next, ne- who's next online? And he always was mischarried, he always had charata, that he didn't have a good answer on his fingertips, because if you're, a, if you're somebody that really cares about Klal Yisrael, you'd always have an immediate answer to that question. You always have a dream of starting an organization, of building a new yeshiva, of starting a kailal, of, uh, of giving taniim, whatever it is that you have. But everybody has to have a dream and a vision for what they feel they can contribute to Klal Yisrael. And all of that, you could daven takadosh on Rosh Hashanah and ask for anything that you want. Go for broke. Don't ask for something small. Ask for as big as you want. And when you do that, then HaKadosh more often than not, will respond if he sees that you're sincere and you're genuine and you have true bitachin in what you're asking. The condition for this to happen, how do I, does it mean that everybody... Everybody can, uh, can get this. So I think when we speak about the opening of a womb, the psichas harechem, as Chazal call it, the opening of the rechem is a womb, rechem is related to the word rachamim. So psichas harechem means more broadly that we have to develop sensitivity. We have to open our mercy and our compassion for other people. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees that we're compassionate, we care about others, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give us. So really the key to unlocking whatever we want in life is to be selfless and to care about other people and to dream not just about our own plight but about the plights of others. If we have a tzara, we should daven that other people's tzaras are, are alleviated as well. There's a great vart that they say about tzara imenu. Chazal teach us that the day that tzara imenu was nifkeda that when she conceived, when she was finally able to conceive, when she was 90 years old, so nifkadu kala kara all of the barren women in the world also conceived on that very day. Why is that? Why did that have to be? Why did millions of barren women conceive on that day? So the Mepharshim say a beautiful pshat, that Sari Meno didn't care just about the fact that she could not have a child. She cared about everybody. Whoever couldn't have a child was also equally on her heart. And if she would have conceived and, and other women not, she, her, the joy that she had for this miracle would not have been complete. HaKadosh Baruch wanted that she should be overjoyed, which she was, 
she laughed and she was giddy over the fact that, you know, there was this uh, great tiding, but it only was a complete simcha because she was able to, to know that every other woman that was going through what she went through was finally also answered on this day. And that's really what I think Rosh Hashanah represents. It's a time that we have to have compassion and mercy on other people. And when we do that, then we unlock the, uh, all of the ability to, uh, to get whatever we daven for. tell you a beautiful story. There was a Hasidish Rebbe. His name was the Radishitzer. The Radishitzer Rebbe had a very large Hasidus. He wasn't one of the huge Rebbes, but he was a... A medium-sized rabbi, and he, uh, he had very, very devoted chassidim. And there was a chassid who many, many years went by, and he was not able to have a child. And every year before Rosh Hashanah, he went to the rabbi, and he says, please, rabbi, you have to daven for me that I'm going to have a child. You have to daven for me that... And it wasn't going one year after another year after another year, and the rabbi just, he saw that it wasn't going. So he said to this, to this man, he says, listen, he says, the gates of heaven are closed for me. I'm trying so hard to daven for you. I don't see a way that I'm going to be able to, to be effective in having, your, in having your, your prayers answered. But I have a brother, and my brother lives in a city, you know, a couple of miles down the road. This year, Rosh Hashanah, I advise you to go to him. He's a very big tzaddik, and he, his, his tefillahs are very often niskabel, answered when mine aren't. And I think you should go to him this Rosh Hashanah and ask him to daven for you, that you should have a child. And I think hopefully then, maybe he's going to be able to unlock the gates of mercy. So, and he made arrangements. This, the, the Rebbe contacted his brother, wrote him a letter and said, this Rosh Hashanah, I'm having a chassid come and he's a wonderful person. Please daven for him and maybe you can answer his tefillahs through you. And anyway, Rosh Hashanah comes and all of a sudden, into the Radishitzer's shtibal comes this yid that he thought was going to his brother for Rosh Hashanah. It was very surprising. He, he made arrangements, everything, and he was supposed to go to the brother, and he stayed by him. And after Mayrev, Rosh Hashanah night, he, the Rebbe, you know, he comes over to the Rebbe to wish him a good yantif and Lashana Taiva, and the Rebbe says, I don't understand. You were supposed to go to my brother. We made arrangements that was going to... He says, I was going to. I packed my bags. I was about to get into the, into the horse and buggy. I was about to go to your brother. But then I stopped. And I said to myself, let's think this through. Let's say I go to the Rebbe's brother. And the Rebbe's brother, Davins, and he opens up Shari Rachamim. And, and now, this year, I have a child. What are people going to say? People are going to say that my Rebbe was ineffective. He wasn't able to, uh, to, to, to open up the gates of heaven, but his brother was. His brother is the Uber Rebbe, and, uh, and, uh, and he's, not, he's not capable. And he says, it's not worth it for me to embarrass my Rebbe, even at the cost of having a child. It's not, I'm not going to do it. I refuse to do it. It's better for me not to have a child than to have my Rebbe be in any way disgraced and demeaned. And the Rebbe was so nispal, he was so moved by this chassid, and he davened extra hard that year, and sure enough, that year he, they were able to have a child. Because that's really what it takes to, 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 for your tefillahs to be answered, is really this psichas harechem. You have to open up your heart and have rachmanis on other people. If it's all about me, and I'm just davening for myself and my own needs, that's not, that's not going to do it. 
we have to open up our hearts and look at other people and make lists of other people that need parnasa, other people that need children, other people need grandchildren, other people need shidduchim, other people need refuos and yeshuos of so many different ways. And when we daven for them on Rosh Hashanah, and not just ourselves, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees that you're a caring individual and HaKadosh Baruch Hu opens up the rechem, as it were, for you as well. I want to end with one, with one story that there was, uh, everybody knows your Yosef Chaim Zonnenfeld. He was the Rav in the old city of Yerushalayim back, uh, you know, at the turn of the century. And, and there was a, they had a, a Shliach Tzibor, a Chazan that davened in, in his shul, Roshan Yom Kippur, for many, many decades. He was the chazan. He was very chashev, and everybody, uh, everybody loved his his voice and his tefillas and his his nesrays and his nigunim. And suddenly, he died very, very quickly. And it was a few months before Rosh Hashanah, and the tzibur was concerned, like, who are we going to get to replace him? We have to, you know, make a search committee and get, uh, you know, find a, you know, do tryouts and hear a great chazanim and. You know, get the have them. You know, let's hear their repertoire. And Rabbi Yosef Chaim said to them, "Don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. You don't have to worry about a thing. I'm taking care of this." Okay. You know, they were a little surprised. Was the Rav? Does the Rav really know about voices and chazanus and and all right? But the Rav said he wants to take care of it. He's Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zanfeld. He could take care of it. So it got closer and closer to Rosh Hashanah and Rabbi Yosef Chaim was holding his cards very close to his vest. He was not showing his hand. He wasn't telling anybody who the new Chazan was. And people were very concerned. You know, they bought their seats. They want to know who, who, who's going to be davening. And he would not tell them. He says, it's fine. I'm taking care of it. It's all taken care of. It's going to be good. And then it was Mayriv of Rosh Hashanah night and uh, still they didn't know, and they went to Rabbi Yisrael, knew who's the chazan? We're looking around the show, we don't see any, any, uh, any, any fresh blood over here. Who's the chazan? Don't worry about it, we're, we're taking care of it. Tomorrow, Musaf, right before the Tkiyas, you're going to see who the new chazan is. So the show was packed, Rosh morning, and right before, after Kriya Satayr, they had Maftir Chana, like we were talking about, and then... Rabbi Yosef Chaim goes over to the son of the old Chazan and he, he gives him the tap on the shoulder and he says, Gatesi, go, go up to the, uh, to the, to the Bima. You're, you're the, you're the Chazan. He says, I'm the Chazan? He says, I don't know the Nusach. I didn't prepare. I don't know. And he says, you've been listening to your father davening for the Ahmed for 40, 50 years already. You know the Nusach as well as anybody else and you are the right man for the job. So, Everybody was very surprised. They were not expecting him. He wasn't, didn't have a beautiful voice, and he didn't have a, you know, he wasn't the most hush of a person in the shul, and he wasn't, it was a strange choice. And all right, the, the Rav said that that's what they should do, but they didn't, uh, they didn't want to question him. But after a davening, they sort of went over to him. A committee of people went over to Rabbi Chaim and said, you know, it's very nice that you wanted to uh, appoint, uh, you know, the Chazan's son. We get that, but like, you know, it, first of all, he's an Avil. And he's, during the year of Avelos, you're really not supposed to daven for the Amun on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So why did you choose him? He said, I want to tell you something. He says, imagine for a second 
the almana, the almana of the chazan who's sitting up in the Ezra's Nashim, and she's waiting to hear her husband's voice, but Veinenu, he's not here. Kilaka Chaiselakim, Akadosh Baruch Hu took him this year. If some strange chazan, some brand new whippersnapper chazan comes to the Amud, imagine how crestfallen she would be. The whole Rosh Hashanah would be ruined for this almana. But when she sees that her son is stepping up to the plate and he's succeeding his father, could you imagine the smile, the happiness that you're bringing to this almana's heart? And it's true what you're saying about uh, an oval not, not that, that an oval should not be davening for the Ahmed on, on uh, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, but there is a special uh, condition in halacha, there's a caveat, that if there's no one like him, then you're allowed to daven for the Ahmed. If, if he's irreplaceable, then, you, then he's allowed to daven. If you can replace him, fine, but if he's irreplaceable and there's no one on his, in his league, then he's allowed to daven. He says, for his mother... For the Almana and the Ezra's Nashim, he's irreplaceable. There's no one else that could replace uh, this young man as a chazan. And that was, uh, that's what Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is all about. Rosh Hashanah is a day that we could unlock potential beyond our imagination. It's a brand new, clean slate. Brand new year. There's a Eschachis and the Bria. The entire creation begins anew. Everything is possible. There's nothing that we can't accomplish in this coming year. We need siyat dishmai, we need Hashem's help. But if we daven in Rosh Hashanah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like he opened the womb of those akaras, of those barren women, he can open up our, our plight, our, our future, uh, just because we are saying that we need it. We are akaras, we are barren in the sense that we need parnasa, we need a shidduch, we need whatever it is that we need. We, we need that. But... HaKadosh Baruch Hu will only do that if we have compassion on other people. The Tanai, the condition that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will have the ultimate compassion on us, if we're like Sari Menu and we only are able to be happy if other people are going to be answered as well, that's the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu will respond to us and give us what we want. So allow me just to conclude with giving us all a bracha that we should have a, a beautiful, happy, healthy new year. And all of our tefillahs, all of our, our prayers, and all of our aspirations, our dreams of the coming year should be answered on Rosh Hashanah, Mirz Hashem. And I want to wish the Rav continued Hatzlacha success in his Avedis HaKadosh. I've known him for many years, and, and I hear wonderful things. And so many of, uh, of my Talmidim have, have uh, participated in the, uh, in the revolution that he's creating in Long Beach. And all of you, I, many of you I know since I was a child, um, you know, I, I see the, the beautiful homes that you've built and the children, the grandchildren, Kanainara, and all of you should have continued bracha v'atzlacha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should continue to be mashpia, uh, to shower upon each and every one of us, all of our tefillahs, and the Mitzvah Hashem, we should be zeicha to aksiva v'chasima taiva. Amen. Amen. Amen.